Welcome back. <laughs> it's the second to last episode of Arts Interrupted for the semester. Mike, Sad. do you feel welcome? I feel welcome. Do you feel welcome? Yeah. Great. Thank you. <laughs> How's your Thanksgiving? I was setting up to say next. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> damn. Missed opportunity. That's okay, because the first bit of news from our arts and culture roundup of the week is that Ariana Grande released a trailer for her music video for Thank You Next. What, what's your take on Thank You Next? I heard 10 seconds of it on in like a video on Twitter today, and that's all I've heard of it, literally. I have not listened to like more than 10 seconds. So I, I don't know if I can have like a... That's about to change after this <laughs> recording. But she is making a Mean Girls inspired music video for this song that I really love. Honestly, my opinion of Ariana Grande has just 180 throughout this semester. <laughs> I love her now. And this freaking music video trailer is ridiculous. First of all, who makes a music video trailer? Nobody. That's what it I thought. It has to be unprecedented. I can't think of another example. I can't. Maybe it's out there. I'm sure it's out there, but maybe we're just not freaking hip to the scene enough. Yeah. But um, <laughs> and it's Mean Girls theme, and she has all she has a lot of the past actors from the Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan, and also like Troy Sivan. And were there? Do you recognize any other people in that trailer? No. Cool. It was very far away. I couldn't really. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm super hyped for this. Sorry, Pete Davidson. This is really sucks for you. She's doing some awesome shit. <laughs> um, okay. No, it's not a competition, I guess. In other news, established pedophile 6ix9ine has been arrested on six offenses, some big ones. Uh, they include racketeering, which is basically just the term for when you're involved in a giant, sketchy organization. And in this case, it's his his gang that is like the Treyway Bloods or something like that. Um yeah, so he has that on his plate, and then assault with a dangerous weapon, and then cons- conspiracy murder charges to top it all off. Um, his trial is set for September 2019, so we unfortunately have to wait a while to see if justice is served, but we'll see. Really sucks he did those things. Really great that he's going to trial. Mm-hmm. Um, in other sad news for all of my fellow SpongeBob fans out there, uh, the creator of the show, Steven Hillenberg, has died after a battle with ALS. Rest in peace. At least SpongeBob lives on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a new Coen Brothers film called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It is a six-part anthology Western movie, and it a features lot. a lot of stars. Lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's got Tim Blake Nelson, James Franco, and Tom Waits which is a pretty star-studded lineup, so go check it out. Earl Sweatshirt is coming out with a new album as well. I really only know the song Hive, which is pretty embarrassing, but I really do love that song. Um, what's it called? Some Rap Songs? Is yeah, that what Some Rap Songs. Um, the album cover appears to be like a DIY um, selfie. You know, if you like take a selfie as you're like moving your phone past your face, it's super blurry and it looks hilarious. Yes. That's It's just... That's a cover. So oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the low key nature of the title kind of matches the low key nature of the cover. So it's amazing to me the analysis you do of rappers like album covers. Remember the whole Kanye one? Where, no. Oh, no, not Kanye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, right, right, right. The Yandi thing. Yandi. Yeah. And what Thank was you. it like the same album cover with the different yeah, color? Yeah, but it was purple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, <laughs> 
the iconic cult favorite, The Room, the film is showing for only one night at the Michigan Theater this Friday. And also on Friday, the Ann Arbor Folk Fest tickets go up on sale. Um, surprisingly, awesome lineups in the past for this festival. A few years ago, the lineup included Rainbow Kitten Surprise, Casey Musgraves, and Jenny Lewis. So yay for that local music. We also have some concerts coming up. We have Preoccupations and Detroit-based Proto-Martyr at the Blind Pig on December 4th. Snail Mail is going to be at Deluxe Flux on December 5th. And the Front Bottoms will be at the Fillmore on December 7th. In other genres of concerts, I'm um, obsessed with acapella. <laughs> um, I just made everyone in this room, six producers, listen to an acapella version of Bon Iver's uh, 715 Creeks. About two-sixths appreciated it. Um, but there are some awesome student University of Michigan student acapella group concerts coming up in the next two weeks. Specifically on Friday, um, there's the Sopranos. They're an all-female acapella group. I have a few friends in it. They're awesome. And also Maze Mirchi, shout out to my roommate Arushi, don't know if this is appropriate to do on this podcast, is um, her group Maze Mirchi is having their concert on the first, so Saturday. And I will be at both. Yeah. So now we are bringing you the last installation of this semester of our series called Genre Bender. Um, this week we talked to daily arts writer Clara Scott about her love for classic country. So not that Toby Keith-ish, but more that Johnny Cash-ish. This week's Genre Bender interview is conducted by Mike Watkins. In addition to Steven Satterino, who's done a Genre Bender interview before, he's a film writer at The Daily so yeah, check it out, and thank you so much for following along with the series this semester. When I was a child, my family would travel down to western Kentucky where my parents were born and there's a backwards old town that's often remembered so I've loved kind of old style country and bluegrass and folk since I was a kid I think I love it because it has like a certain inherent soul to it almost like you know soul music has soul a lot of people say that stuff like you know Dolly Parton or Emmylou Harris has kind of blue-eyed soul like yeah. it, people describe people like Daryl Hall or Adele mm. to have like a certain blue-eyed soul because they're white but they still have that kind of grit to them and how so they sing um, it still comes from a very raw kind of like purely emotional place so that's why I've always liked it I also grew up on it so I feel like there's always kind of some attachment from that mm. so could you just give us a like a time frame of the stuff that you are exactly talking about just so we can place it, pluck the pin in our, our uh, mental map? I feel like what I'm probably talking about is probably mid-50s to mid-70s, I think was probably like the golden era of not only like kind of original golden age country, but also a folk of um, kind of the beginnings of the bluegrass movement. At basically after Honky Tonk, it kind of became something else. It became a lot more soulful and a lot more reflective instead of just being kind of um, based on a certain subset of people's experience. 
do you have something like uh, any contemporary music that you feel like uh, resonates with you the same way or reminds you of 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 of, of that? Yeah. Um, I really love the Dixie Chicks. I it was my first concert. My my mom has always been a huge fan of them, and I really like their music because it is pop to a certain extent, but at the same time, it has that kind of like innate raw quality to it that a lot of the older country has that a lot of kind of folk music has where you can feel what they are saying it's not just in the lyrics it's not just in the instrumentation of the songs like I feel like nothing can make you cry more than probably blues soul and country because the basis of the music is that kind of like pure emotion um, so I really like them especially because they kind of had like a very political aspect to them for a long time. Like there was a really huge scandal when um, they wrote this song called Mr. President, which was basically addressing President Bush about the war in Iraq. And um, people boycotted them. People sent letters to them that were horrible. And um, it was this whole thing. But they kind of like got up from that and made one of their best albums. And I don't know, there's kind of that roots struggle to it that you can feel through the music where you can tell that the people are real and they're just saying what they feel and it's these stories of love and loss that are really universal and the fact that it's kind of in a way like the way that it's um produced and the way that the instrumentation is in a lot of the songs like it sounds so much like older music that you can kind of tell that universality of it I don't know if that's a word but <laughs> yeah basically um that's that's why I like them I think talking about this kind of genre it it seems like it's almost timeless like I think anyone of any age can appreciate a guy riffing on a guitar and yeah. just like singing his heart out like definitely that to me and I think that has to do with like the universal subject matter yeah whether it be like heartbreak or like some kind of loss like it seems so simple and so uh like stripped down that it's just pure emotion and feeling and it's almost like boundless in terms of its audience in high school I always, have, do you have uh, satellite radio by any chance? Did you ever have satellite radio? I Yeah, we did in our car. <laughs> you know the bridge, that station? Yeah, yeah. Like, like 18? 2432, I think. Oh. Channel 32. <laughs> Every 24-7, the bridge was on in my car. But like obviously, I was a high school kid who was into hip-hop and, yeah. and grew up on classic rock and stuff. But this stu- this folk in this old country always kind of like brought me back to center almost it's yeah. like it kind of just i don't know it, it it's very it's good car it music quality. it's really good car it's really music good car it's music. very cinematic yeah. um oh that's a good way to put it yeah yeah a lot of it is especially um uh, the the song that i was going to talk about later especially i love the artist glenn campbell he actually died i think last year or earlier this year but basically he and this songwriter jimmy webb um they wrote the song by the time I got to Phoenix, which I don't know if either of you have heard it, it's it's very it's it's in a format that was kind of strange for the time it came out, which was probably like the early 60s, early to mid 60s. I think it was like 63 or 65. But 
there's no chorus. It's basically just like a set of stanzas set to music, but it's kind of this like pilgrimage story. And then one of my favorite songs of all time is Witched Alignman, which has been covered like a million times and it does have that really timeless quality. But the way Jimmy Webb wrote it, it was he thought it was unfinished. It came out in 1968 and was super, super popular. And James Taylor has covered it. R.E.M. has covered it. <laughs> um, it's it's really, really timeless in that sense. And I think part of it is that there is that kind of like universal thing where it's like love and loss. And I think the way that a lot of old country is written, it's very cinematic and very poetic. It's almost like a poem set to music. And the way people sing it, it's like they've lived it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that does kind of have an effect where it brings you back to center if you listen to it, just because you know, you can listen to stuff that's angry or listen to stuff that <laughs> listen to stuff that is, you know, has very intense political themes or I don't know, a lot of music now I feel doesn't necessarily have the kind of like intense universal substance that a lot of this music had. But I feel like when you're talking about root emotion, like, you know, loss or, you know, romantic love or kind of like familial ties if you listen to it, you kind of like are put back into that place of just like your base emotion and all, everything kind of melts away because you're just thinking about the story of that song. The musical elements are never crazily complex. Yeah. They're never, they never dominate the song. It's very much about the voice, what the voice is saying and in what manner it's saying it. Yeah. I think it's interesting too because uh, to me it's one of the, genres where you get the most leeway about how well you can sing like how well uh it seems to be sort of forgiving bob of dylan bob dylan it's yeah <laughs> bob dylan. it seems to be pretty forgiving of uh an own personal style even if that's not hitting all if even if you're a little bit flat all the time or yeah whatever bob dylan is. i mean and you can look at people like willie nelson in that sense like he might not have the most melodic voice in the world. Even Johnny Cash, like mm. he's not, he is a professional singer, but he was never a professional singer, you know, in air <laughs> quotes. But I feel like the the kind of like core emotion that those songs are portraying, like the fact that it is not necessarily the best singer who's singing it also gives kind of like credence to that emotion because it is that kind of like really raw effect um, where you can tell they're putting it all on the line. like. In Twist and Shout, that Beatles song, mm -hmm. um, like John Lennon recorded it on like the 23rd take or something and his vocal cords, like they hurt. It hurts when you hear it. Um, <laughs> but that was the best take because he's just putting it all on the line. And I feel like a lot of country music is like that, at least older country music kind of before the stadium revolution. But yeah, it does kind of have that like rough, ragged edged I want to hear you talk about the stadium. You, you said that was, there must be something there. Let yeah. me, let's talk about the stadium revolution. I feel like I, I wrote an article about this a while back, but Bo Burnham, the comedian, has mm. this bit, has this bit where he, I, I don't remember what the song is called, but it's basically about pandering. And the entire thing is based on the way that millionaires kind of pander to these blue collar audiences mm -hmm. by just, you know, spitting out these like reoccurring motifs of demagoguery and music. Yeah, exactly. Um, these like recurring motifs of, you know, red dirt and tan legs and pickup trucks and cold <laughs> beer and like the dogs. The dogs are always there. <laughs> 
but and like you know slow dancing like in a dirt road or something like that. <laughs> I haven't heard of that one. Um, but <laughs> it's so funny when he sings it because he's it, there's a line in that song where he talks about how they're wearing a thousand dollar jeans and three hundred dollar boots and talking to people who you know grow corn for a living. Mm. Um, hey, hold on. Let's not throw. <laughs> no, I'm not putting that under the bus. Under the I'm not throwing <laughs> corn my people under the bus. Has corn in his backyard. No, I'm just saying that you know the market that they're pandering to in this sense is so yeah, yeah. so different than their lifestyle and there mm -hmm. isn't that kind of like innate relation between the singer and the listener that I feel like a lot of the older country has where it's like they've never been through that they've never grown up like that mm -hmm. and I feel like definitely some stadium country is good like I really love Shania Twain I would die for Shania Twain any day of the week. But I feel like with her, it is kind of still based on those like innate emotions like of love and um, of loss and having fun and being, you know, joyful. Whereas a lot of the stuff like if you listen to like Florida Georgia Line, I'm not if if, you know, that's your guilty pleasure if you love it. Great. You know, music is for everyone. But for me, it doesn't have as much substance or kind of like emotional power that a lot of the older country does just because it's so obvious that it's a marketing tool. Yeah, it almost seems like it's lacking truth. Yeah. Yeah. It, I feel like it does. I feel like it's fun. Definitely. Um, but for me at least I find, uh, I find it really hard to find like the core of that music. Mm. It yeah. seems almost like made just to dance to. So do you think folk and this old country that we've been talking about is dead? Um, you know, Ava Brothers like just released. Yeah. Ava yeah. I feel like it kind of lives on in people like the Ava Brothers where folk and country in their day were really different, especially with the kind of rise of the singer songwriters in the late 60s and early 70s that became its own thing with, you know, like Simon and Garfunkel yeah. and Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and all those people. But I feel like it kind of grew out of country while country was still existing. I feel like people like the Avid Brothers are kind of keeping it alive in a, in a sort of meshed way where they're almost half folk, half country. And even the a, bluegrass is really, really alive. Um, that's something that's that's come back into kind of like the cultural perspective um, lately. Like there's this band called the Punch Brothers. A lot of brothers. There's a lot of brothers. <laughs> yeah, they're they're uh, the Punch Brothers are are really awesome. And part of it is just bluegrass it it it's basically about like the virtuosity of the people who are playing in the bands because it is so fast paced for the most part that people have to just play their hearts out on their instruments in in the case of the punch brothers since we're talking about them the lead guy chris Thiele, i think is how you pronounce his name he's a mandolin player and he is he, i mean he's played with yo-yo ma like really well. he is so legit Shreds. and when you listen to it it's like these symphonies And there's a lot of other, you know, people who are still doing stuff. Even some of the older people are still making music. Like I saw John Prine at the folk festival in, in January and 
it was just amazing because you got to see all these other folk artists go on stage with him and sing his song. Didn't he release an album? He released an album either late last year or early this year. Um, That was, he was, he's like 72 or something, but he's been through a lot. He had lung cancer. Um, Now his voice is a lot more gravelly than it was before, but he's, he's still going, man. I feel like there might not necessarily be a lot of people who are doing the same kind of old country because to a certain extent that was kind of a product of its time like the fact that it was a lot more showy like people were listening to the Grand Old Opry and watching it and all these variety shows were having them on there and it was just generally a lot more popular to do that kind of cowboy-ish style of music but I feel like now that kind of soul like the the base of it is in modern folk because there are a lot of artists who are doing not necessarily instrumentally a similar thing, but you can feel the same spirit in their music. So you mentioned the Ann Arbor Folk Festival, mm-hmm. and I know you, you wrote an article about that yeah. last winter. Do you want to maybe speak about that for some of our local listeners? Maybe yeah. a little plug for the arc and stuff like that? Yeah, no, I, I would definitely recommend it. I was for sure, like me and Ryan Cox, who's another writer, he was doing it for community culture for the daily, but we were probably the only people under 45 in that <laughs> entire, in the entire Hill Auditorium. But it was really kind of a collective experience with all of those stoned um, old people. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think <laughs> Ann Arbor's, uh, the townies show up. Oh yeah, they, they send really, their finest. They, they send really, their really finest. do. And uh, I felt very close to all of the seven-year-olds around me. But um, that's super funny. Yeah, yeah, I really loved it because I went to the second. I didn't go to the first one, but I really loved it because there is kind of this collective sense of enjoying the same kind of music and enjoying the people who are playing and the fact that it is so based in soul and kind of like the roots of the music Mm -hmm. I feel like is a good tie for everyone there because we're all kind of feeling the same super intense emotions when we listen to that music. There's this band who played there last year called The War and Treaty which basically the, it's a man and a woman, they're married. The woman, I don't know if you've ever seen The Sister Act, the one with Lauren Hill in it. There's a song that they sing, which I absolutely love. Like I always sing this song, but it's called um, His Eyes on the Sparrow. It's like an old spiritual, but the woman who sings it with Lauren Hill in the movie is, her name is Tanya Blount, and she's the, she's the woman in The War and Treaty. Mm-hmm. But they played this insane like blues folk like soul set and it was just it was like I was crying like it was amazing but I I don't know I feel like when people lay it all on the line like they do in in places like the folk festival or even just like smaller folk venues or even when you listen to like soul music or if you go to church and listen to gospel music like it really you react to it in a very visceral way and I definitely did when I went to the folk festival I would for sure recommend it just because you do have that kind of collective sense of feeling the same emotions at the same time and everyone is kind of part of this experience so I don't know it was it was a really cool experience for me at least so do you have a song in mind that you could share with us that kind of embodies this emotion this raw visceral stuff that we've been talking Mm -hmm. about that we could give a quick listen to yeah i mean i i was gonna talk about uh the wichita lineman one and i think i'll go probably deeper into that now but uh like i was saying glenn campbell and the singer songwriter named jimmy webb he mostly wrote but he released his own records as well it was released in 1968 and 
it's probably like one of the most revered songs of that era just because even though the instrumentation is kind of inherently country it's not so country like there's no banjos or anything like mm-hmm. that so it has this almost like genreless genre feeling to it um because it's really just these it's strings it's bass it's guitar um it's these very basic elements of um just all music really um and it's it's about longing really it's about a telephone line repairman who is you know on this mission to repair these <laughs> telephone lines mm-hmm. and he misses his wife and one of the um one of the lines in the song says i can hear you singing in the wires and it's just so beautiful Damn. yeah because it's it's just this kind of like i said like it's, it's this universal kind of theme of longing and love and feeling alone even though you know that you have people in the world and um the second verse of the song is really really famous because it's um the lyrics are and i need you more than want you and i want you for all time and that's just the most beautiful thing that i've ever heard steven's crying right now. yeah <laughs> and the the way that glenn campbell sings it and even the way james taylor sings it in his cover is it, it's just you it feel like every emotion at once. It's just those words are so powerful. And it's funny because Jimmy Webb has said that he left the song unfinished and that's how Glenn Campbell recorded it. But it seems so finished and yet so open at the same time. So I don't know. That's probably the most powerful powerful song that I've heard of that era. I grew up on it. My mm-hmm. dad has always played it. So I feel like I definitely have an attachment to that one. And I feel like a lot of other people do too. I am a lineman for the county. And I drive the main road Searching in the sun for another overload I hear you singing in the wire I can hear you through the wine And the witcher tall lineman Still on the line. Yeah. Wow. That that vocal style is like it's like wailing. It's like he's like I don't even know. It's it's he's not like crying, but it's mm-hmm. like it has that emotional like draw and that, that power. Yeah. That was honestly like a bigger musical arrangement that i expected with the strings and everything i was Mm -hmm. kind of expecting just a man and a guitar sort of thing so do you think that folk and this stuff we're talking about kind of gets a bad rap for maybe being like old and outdated i feel like i honestly i don't know because i i think that a lot of young people don't listen to it but at the same time there are people like casey musgraves right now and even like the Dixie Chicks are still playing. 
they kind of came back and there's a lot of other people who are playing now. So I feel like it's definitely more of a niche market than it was during the time that it was super big. And part of that I feel like is politics just because the rise of the folk singer happened around Vietnam when people really wanted to have kind of a grounded sense to their music and wanted something that was really just the bare bones elements of music and that raw emotion. Whereas I feel like our lives are a little bit more complicated now and it's not, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that, um, that sense of, um, kind of like raw emotion is in a lot of music now, but people are so used, used to listening to kind of like, um, hyper-produced music that it might not necessarily be as popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it still exists. I feel like um, it might not necessarily get a bad rap, but a lot of people put it down because either they assume that all country sounds like stadium country or it has no substance because it is country and they have preconceived notions of it. Or even with folk music, I feel like people think it's too simple when in reality that simplicity is what makes it great. So I don't know. I would give it a chance to younger people who might not necessarily have it or have grown up with it because I feel like there is definitely some a, a lot of value and a lot of power in that kind of pure emotion that you know we find in both of those genres. So Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Arts Interrupted. Our final installment of the Genre Bender series for this semester. As always, our hosts are Mike Watkins and Avery Friedman. With guest appearances from Stephen Satterino and Clara Scott. A special thanks to our audio engineer, Ryan Cox, and our music by Brad Gerwin. As usual, we are produced by ourselves, Sean Lang. <laughs> Olive Scott. And our junior producers, Livy McKenzie, whose nickname is Pending, and John, Fabi Baby Fabian. That's all for this week, folks. Tune in next week for some hot holiday knowledge. <laughs> bye bye now. Slash, is it going to be like the end part? Or, well, not the bus part, but like the part where they're.